millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world. Bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors. Covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. Welcome in, friends, as we start up episode 11 of our summer series of Everything Under the Sun. And as a lot of us get ready to go back to school... There are some out there, in fact, some college students, even high school students, have been doing internships this summer. And I'll tell you what, been here at AccuWeather now 25 years, and as we'll talk about, we've done this internship program about 10 years or so, and it's evolved to be bringing us amazing people who some of them stick on and work after they do go back to school and graduate, come back to work with us for here at AccuWeather. But the four interns that we had this summer were just amazing, and I wanted to kind of pick their brain a little bit. I have some ideas as a more senior meteorologist in terms of age and experience, but I enjoyed uh, getting the impressions of the young meteorologist and also maybe a little advice if you know a person, a young person who wants to get into meteorology, you can have them listen to this and they'll talk uh, these four amazing interns from AccuWeather Summer program will tell you about how you might want to become a meteorologist as well the coordinator of the training for the interns and the young lady who kind of really put the whole program together courtney travis who will join us at the end of the podcast in our weather for the weekend and week beyond segment she'll talk about their amazing experience from her perspective and the weather ahead friends sit back and relax Summer's moving forward, and so are we. It's time to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. So here we go in our first Rays of Focus segment. It's time to meet the AccuWeather 2022 summer interns here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. You know, for several years at AccuWeather, we have been very blessed to be able to bring some of the newest and brightest minds in meteorology to come in. And first of all, it's a two-way street. They learn from us and we learn from them. And it's a great program. And this year we have been amazingly fortunate to have four young people who, you know, everybody that I talk to is just impressed at how professional and how uh, great they've been. And we're going to miss them because they're about ready to go back into the uh, school pool here pretty soon. In fact, uh, one of them has already made their way uh, back to a home Let's uh, introduce them here. Um, we'll start with Abigail Lancia. She's uh, a Rutgers University student planning to graduate this upcoming winter. Previously interned at the Environmental Protection Agency and has worked a little bit for an online radio station in the New Jersey Turnpike Authority. That would be an interesting thing to talk about. Abigail, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 
how was it being a, a, a Big Ten person in another Big Ten rival school area here working at uh, the State College area in AccuWeather? Definitely a different world, but I do have some family who goes to who went to Penn State. So um definitely feeling the state college pride here. And it's been a great experience so far learning from everybody here at AccuWeather. And our other young lady uh, that worked uh, as an intern is already uh, moved back home to get ready or back to school. And her name is Emma Belcher. And Emma, you're not on you're not on Slack anymore. So I'd ask everybody to kind of put some things down to talk about uh, where they are in school and those kinds of things. So, Emma, just take it away. Where are you? Where do you go to school? Where are you in your classwork? And what are some things that you have done in meteorology prior to working here at AccuWeather? Um, so I go to the University of Alabama in Huntsville. I tentatively will graduate in the spring. I currently am in Raleigh, North Carolina now, though, which is where I'm from. And uh, before coming to AccuWeather, I just did a lot of ex- school experiences. We have a lot of research at our school. So that's kind of what I did. Next up, we have Michael Paganelli. He's a Pennsylvania native, but he bucked the trend. He didn't go to Penn State. He went to SUNY Oswego. Mike, I know... Um, you know, did, were people surprised that being a Pennsylvania product near Hanover, Pennsylvania, that you didn't end up going to like Penn State or even Millersville, which is kind of right in your backyard? A good yeah, story. yeah, I, I get asked that quite often up here in State College. Yeah, so people are definitely surprised. Now you worked uh, for Lake Effect Snow Prediction and Research Center um, and past couple of winters, and he likes to ride bike, and he also does some amazing drone photography. We'll talk about that here in a minute. And our final intern, last but not least, he comes from UNC Charlotte. uh, And his name is Zach Elsom. He is uh, eligible to graduate, he says, this upcoming December. Might stay an extra semester for research. (laughs) You've done a lot already. Zach, you sound like me. Kind of a lot of things, a lot of different hobbies, including but not limited to gaming, racing, world geopolitics, bartending, (laughs) and and, uh, exploring. Make me a drink and tell me uh, how your uh, situation was here at AccuWeather this uh, this last couple of months. I'll definitely take you up on that, Dean. Yeah, um, that's AccuWeather has been absolutely phenomenal so far. Well, let's just open it up. Zach, Abigail, Emma, Michael, let's start. Zach, with you, your one thing that you've taken away from your work with the AccuWeather meteorologists and something you learned, maybe one takeaway right now. I think the main thing I want to emphasize is the fact that everything is such a collaborative process here. Um, you know, whether it be in the map discussions that we have very periodically here, um, there is no one person who makes all the decisions. It is very much everyone, everyone, all hands in, able to create an environment where um, everyone has a say in determining what the best outcome is for a specific forecast, and that is actually. It's quite unique in the terms of operational meteorology, just because typically in other settings uh, like National Weather Service, everyone has their particular niche. Right. So they're in their they're in their own particular, um, you know, county warning area and they're in their own particular state that they might have been in for years. Whereas in AccuWeather, it's very much <laughs> not only in terms of ge- uh, geography, are we uh international in that sense, but we are also um, not limited in terms of individual individual line items that we have to accomplish every day so it's no longer everyone has just one job everyone has a collective job in order to uh, get the best forecast out there as possible which is it's just very unique and it's something that accuweather is definitely i would say imp- impressed upon me that you know forecasting is a collaborative team process yeah some of the 
frustrations with that, Zach, and uh, let's turn to Abigail. Um, when you have, and, and we as meteorologists, young or more experienced, we have pretty strong opinions about what we think is going to happen weather-wise in a specific situation. And so when you have to be collaborative, sometimes it makes you really think. And secretly, you're really happy when your idea wins. And then maybe you're a little disappointed when your idea doesn't. But uh, like to what Zach said, Abigail, is it is it a process that you think actually comes out with the best forecast in the end? I definitely think it does. And that's because we are always here at AccuWeather thinking about what is going to most impact our customers and our viewers, the people who watch the network and use our website. It's always for the best intention of the people consuming our products. So sometimes your idea might get taken. Maybe that's a little frustrating. But at the end of the day, you're working with such a bright group of people who all have that same passion for helping other people and forecasting the weather for the benefit of others. So when you work with a group of people who all have those same values, that's when the best product is going to come out. And that's what happens here at AccuWeather, which is just a great thing to see as someone who's about to enter the field. And I think, Mike, one thing that you noticed too, and because I, you know, you're one of the people maybe that, uh, you know, I saw a little bit more through, through the through the, uh, the process here in the last couple of weeks. You know, we all do have our specialties in the way we look at the weather and the places we look. I mean, uh, one of the things... You know, there's modeling and then there's experience with the way the patterns are and the way of the mesoscale in that particular place. Like Boston is one, you know, change the wind direction 20 degrees and you have a totally different day. Um, so those specialties that you develop, I think one thing, Mike, that I thought I uh, have thought over the last 25 years here is AccuWeather kind of really tries to take those and 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 get the best product and and take your specialties and share them with others. Do you feel that kind of uh, thing as you went through the last couple of months? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of people, you know, as you were saying, have specialties if they've grew up um, in a particular area or just have been forecasting for that area. A lot of mesoscale um, things that happen that that they'll they'll be um, they'll know more about. And yeah, they like Dave Dombeck, for example, uh, great teacher. Learned a lot from him. Um, just by, by listening to him when he, while he's forecasting for locations. Um, so someone like him is, is definitely, definitely good, um, with, with those more mesoscale, smaller features. Emma, do you get a feeling that, uh, those of us at AccuWeather, we really do push to not only be right, but also to come at the process the right way and 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 kind of look everything. I think one of the difficult things about meteorology is there's just so much to look at. The atmospheres, so many different levels. One level, if you're not thinking the right way, can change your forecast in a, in a very negative way. And I think this kind of redundancy sometimes is is a good check to help us catch those things. Right? Is that the way you felt too? Yeah, I definitely felt like the collaboration involved just made sure nothing got overlooked. Everyone looking at all sorts of parts of the atmosphere and analyzing the patterns made it so that nothing was missed or we could predict where the forecast might go wrong in the future based on where we were looking. It's certainly a process and they, they've certainly been working at it and learning at it. One of the things that we, and I think this is more of an outgrowth of the last year or two, um, normally the, the interns we had would get together and do a group project that would be presented at the end of the year, but you all 
actually had two sets. You, you did a group project, the four of you, what, in mid, about middle of the year. For the life of me right now, that slips my mind. What was that about? Who's going to remind me what that mid, midway project? Emma look, looks like she's ready to answer. It was a postmortem on the derecho we had at the end of May that sort of circumnavigated from like Michigan, Wisconsin, all the way down to the energy down to Georgia. Yeah, that uh, derecho, um, a derecho is a, a kind of a line of severe thunderstorms that just kind of plows through an area, can create straight line wind gusts as high as as tornadoes, but it's it's really kind of a straight line situation, 100, 120 miles per hour. We saw that derecho, and then we've seen a couple of other little kind of derecho-like systems here this year. Um, what what were some of the, the takeaways? I specifically focused on the feature graphic progression that we made here at AccuWeather in terms of the graphics we'd be putting out um, to warn people about the derecho that was coming through. And definitely a key takeaway with these types of storms is really following it through all the way until the end. As Emma mentioned, it traveled from the northern plains all the way down to the southeast. So it definitely is super important um, when we were looking back to really keep up with these storms and not just forecast its initiation, but forecast where it's going to go after it initiates, because it really took a very long journey throughout the eastern half of the United States. So that was one of the main key takeaways as we were looking back at our forecast and the way we were following the storm. That's for sure. Right. The communication of that. And, and, you know, we were very fortunate at AccuWeather. We picked up on that early. And, you know, the way you almost have to do this sometimes is kind of plaster an area with the possibilities when you're looking two, three, four five days and then start honing that. And that's the process that we go through. Um, that leads us, I think, to our our second group of presentations. We're here at the at the end of your internships. One of them was about how to communicate severe weather. Am I, did I get that right? Who, who Remind me, who are the two that worked on that? You can raise your hand and then I'll call you out. I feel like a school. So that was Zach and Emma. Um, what exactly were they, we ask you to, to look at there with communicating severe weather, Zach and El, Emma? Yeah, sure. So um, the main thing that we were taking a look at was making sure, you know, ultimately communication is key when it comes to getting any kind of forecast out. That's a general rule of thumb that they're hammering into us recently, at least as uh, meteorology students. Um, so one of the things that AccuWeather that we are always iterating on is whether or not the graphics that we put out in terms of communicating severe weather are actually getting the correct message across to the uh, to the audience or to the client. So what we did is we essentially were asked to kind of more or less poll the public um, and develop a series of questions in a survey that would ultimately determine what we do good and what we do. Maybe we have an opportunity for enhancement and uh, go forward there to see if there's any glaring things that maybe we haven't thought of or um, perhaps things that maybe haven't gotten a lot of attention, but maybe now you know, maybe, maybe it does deserve attention now. Yeah. I think one of the keys here is the we have to learn and figure out now how people are using weather information. I mean, um, I grew up in an era where radio, TV, newspaper were the three main ways we communicated the weather to people. And they all had drawbacks. They weren't, except for radio, and uh, really was one of the most instantaneous. But um, now people, I think there's, People, you could you can line up a hundred people, and they do the weather on their app or whatever a hundred different ways. They're they're always they're looking at different things. Is that something, Emma? You guys found too that people have different 
sensibilities when it comes to this stuff, different needs that they're wanting from the information that places like AccuWeather are giving them? Yeah, we actually did find a little bit of that, especially one of our questions was asking them where they consumed their weather content most. And it was surprisingly mostly on the app. So that was one of our like sort of key finds was that focusing on weather content and severe weather content going to the app in the future would be definitely a good move. The other project, I think, dealt with wildfire smoke. The the key of the project was how we handle that internally in our system that we call UFDB. It's kind of the way, you know, people think of me like, how do you do that? When I put in Elkhorn, North Dakota, and I get a forecast and in five, five milliseconds, it's there. How does that happen? Well, part of the way that happens is the extensive computer system and the database that we've built over the last decades or so. So other than let's talk about the nuts and bolts of it, wildfire smoke continues uh, to be a big problem. We saw another few bouts of it this year um, affecting air quality. I mean, when I was a kid, the skies were gray a lot from pollution at the ground level. Last year, we had the gray skies over top that we I hadn't seen skies like that in Pennsylvania for a long time. Um, It's getting to be a situation, especially with COVID and air quality concerns. So Abigail and Mike, what what did you find in terms of the importance of sky cover and especially when it relates to wildfire smoke, which continues to be a problem that we see at times? Yeah, so it was really interesting uh, to see all of the health problems that can um, happen to people, especially, uh, people with pre-existing conditions, never really thought about all those hazards. Um, so it's definitely really important for, in that regard. Um, so it was interesting to learn how we can, um, come up with different thresholds for the density of smoke that are in the air to automatically get inputted into our, our database that would push to the, the website and app and, and et cetera. Yeah, Abigail, it seemed like last year, I mean, there were places and times, depending on how the atmosphere was working, where that upper level smoke would pull down to the surface and get uh, down to places like New York City. There was a couple of days I remember last year where it smelled uh, viscerally of smoke in New York City and those wildfires were a thousand miles away. So um, really, it it takes time to kind of figure out how the atmosphere is working and where that smoke is going to go. Is it going to stay up over top and just give you some visibility issues or is it going to affect your health down at the lower levels, right? Yes, absolutely. Last summer, there were many large wildfires out in the West in California, as well as Canada. And here on the East Coast, where we are, we were seeing a lot of those hazy skies, enhanced sunrises and sunsets. So although a wildfire is burning thousands of miles away, it could really affect a population on the other side of the country or the world, whatever. Um, and that's due to that higher altitude wildfire smoke that travels um, over from west to east. So it is really interesting to see those effects play out. And it was really cool doing that research to see how wildfire smoke can affect populations that are nowhere near a wildfire. And that could contribute to lack of visibility, especially with um, aviation concerns, flying planes and things like that. So it is very interesting to see how that smoke can travel all the way to places and have that same effect so far away from where the wildfire actually is. We are talking with our amazing crop of interns that uh, just finishing up their duties here at AccuWeather for the summer season here in 2022. We've got Abigail Lancia, Emma Belcher, we've got Mike Paganelli and Zach Elsom, and we're going to 
go around uh, the room here and uh, talk. Uh, I want you to tell me, as a young meteorologist, if you were advising uh, a young man or woman who is thinking about meteorology or, or something in the climate sciences, what would you tell them? Abigail, I'm going to start with you. What is something, one piece of advice would you give somebody right now? Because we're getting ready to go back to school. And, you know, a lot of people, especially with the fact that climate change is such a big part of our lives and a big uh, situation, where a lot of younger people now seem to get getting more of a call to be a meteorologist. So, Abigail, your piece of advice for the high school or even college student who's not quite figured out what they want to do, but this sounds fun. What are some pieces of advice from you? Yes, I was actually that college student who actually transferred over into the meteorology major about halfway through my college career. And that's because I always had this strong interest in the weather. So if I was talking to a young student I would tell them definitely get into those classes that are going to help you um, in terms of science. That would be your physics, your math, environmental science, if you can. But just as importantly, as a meteorologist and really any scientist in general, you really need to be a strong communicator. Even if you're not going into broadcasting, we're forecasting the weather that can really impact someone's life, especially in those high risk situations. So getting involved in something such as a public speaking course, theater, which really helped me with public speaking. Yeah. Something that you start to feel comfortable communicating what you learn to the public, because of course you need to know the technical things, but you need to have the passion as well as being able to explain those technical things that the general public might not understand in a way that is accessible and inclusive to everybody. And that's really my mission as a scientist and meteorologist in general. And that's what I would recommend to a young student to really find that balance and that passion for learning the science and communicating it in a way that is inclusive to the public. And what's exciting to me, Emma, is, you know, I look at the diversity of where you all are learning meteorology. You know, back five, 10 years ago, the names would have been a much smaller set, you know, Penn State, Florida State, Oklahoma. But we're seeing a lot more different, great neurology schools that are really popping up here. So and yours is one of them, University of Alabama, Huntsville. Um, first time I think we've ever had an intern from there. Those those newer programs are are really making a difference, I think, in the educational opportunities for folks that want to go in this. Would you agree, Emma? Definitely. I think it adds just a whole new perspective being at a different school, as well as we're getting professors sort of from all over the country to come in and teach. And the program's just so rapidly expanding that it helps bring a lot of new people in to learn meteorology. Um, let's go over to, to Mike. Um, what being someone who probably could have gone to a bigger more known school, but chose to go look SUNY Oswego and the SUNY schools that their stock has been going up for the last 10, 15 years um, in terms of their quality of their meteorology. We've had uh, several through. So, but talk about that, Mike, how, you know, picking the right school for you may not be the school that your friends or your family or a meteorologist who got his degree at Penn state thinks you should go there. You got to make the right decision for you. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to 
class sizes to be relatively small and more opportunities to get involved with things like research um, and also the forecasting um, Les Park that I'm that I'm that I'm in the past couple winters. Um, so yeah, it's it's great. Um, I really get to get involved, and also with it helps that my school does not have a graduate program. As some schools I've toured that do, there's less research opportunity for undergraduates. So that was kind of nice. Uh, as a, as a sophomore, I was able to get in with the professor and um, complete some research over the past year or two. Um, so that was awesome. Um, with some larger schools, you don't have as as much of an opportunity with that as most of those opportunities would go to the the graduate students. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting yeah. point. Yeah. Yep. Zach down at UNC Charlotte, uh, that's an up and coming program. What drew you to that and what advice would you give uh, a young person that's thinking about climate science or meteorology? Well, generally speaking, I was just kind of in the vicinity of Charlotte and thus <laughs> UNC <laughs> Charlotte was there. So there I, I, I can't say, I can't say that I actively sought it out. Um, but ultimately, I kind of lucked out just because, you know, it is a smaller program, but they're being very, very intentional about uh, what classes they choose to teach. And, you know, there's some there's some classes in other universities where, you know, it's it's not always, quote unquote, necessary. And they make sure to uh, they make sure to, you know, they, they to teach these subjects that actually will get us the job in the future. And as far as I, I, as far as advice for um, future MET students. I would kind of I would echo the sentiment that Abby was talking about being an effective communicator goes above and beyond anything you can really do as a meteorologist. Ultimately, your forecast is nothing if you haven't communicated effectively. So going out of your way to uh, take those take those theater classes or public speaking classes or even taking some uh, taking some journalism or, you know, you know, writing intensive uh, courses can really can really go a long way in terms of making yourself look a lot better to uh to people in schools. And also it kind of echoes into, um, to get out there, you know, um, I, I only got this AccuWeather internship by taking the leap of faith and going to AMS or the American Meteorological Organizational Conference in Houston, Texas, uh, last year, just so happened to talk to an AccuWeather rep there. And, you know, lo and behold, here I am today. So, uh, just don't be afraid to like stick your neck out a little bit and, uh, be, be more visible, you know, good grades, they're great. But, you know, as far as STEM majors go, there's going to be a lot of other people that are going to be doing the exact same thing, have the exact same mentality. Uh, you got to think outside the box a little bit while you're still on that uh, ultra competitive student level um, and make yourself look a little bit uh, look, make yourself look a little more uh, more impressive, I will say. All right. I'm going to just throw some rapid fire questions out. Anybody can answer. Um, if if one person's talking and somebody else wants to add, just kind of put your hand up so I can see you here on the Zoom. But um, here's the first question. Are we getting to a situation where we give too much information, we're relying too much on models, and we're not relying enough on, as meteorologists, on pattern and recognition of actually what's going on? Is that something you guys have felt? I know there's something that others have. Mike's raised his hand. He wants to start. Yeah, I think I've noticed that um, in some instances. So with that uh, derecho postmortem that we did, um, I was I was looking uh, mainly into my part in that piece was looking into the pattern recognition um, of de when derechos occur. What is the pattern, the weather pattern generally look like? So yeah, I think that's a key to a lot of these um, medium range forecasts. Just say about a week out or so. Um, I think more pattern recognition stuff um, is is more. Um, needs to be more looked into than just 
looking at what the model has verbatim. Um, cause just looking at current conditions and how, how those pieces of the atmosphere can move based on knowledge that we've learned in, in school, um, really goes a long way. Um, and can sometimes you can, um, beat even the, what these models are saying. So you have to take kind of both into consideration. Emma, you wanted to add something? Yeah, just on that with the models, and when we were doing our postmortem, you could really find the change between the 0Z and the 12Z run of the models. And we very much changed our forecasts to match the sort of newest run of the model, even though it might not have been the most accurate. So sometimes you get, as a meteorologist, and I'm there too, it's follow the model, but did that model change? Because what she's talking about is, so um, 0Z, 12Z, Every 12 hours, some of these models, we get new data every three hours. There's even models now we get every hour updated, some of these real short-term models. Um, but from the 12-hour shift, was it a good change or was it a bad change, Emma? It was bad. We actually, I sort of discovered that the 0Z, so the very first run every day of the models was actually better, but because it had shifted and we thought that maybe that's what it should be and all the models sort of aligned, we kind of just picked that one because models are usually good. They are. <laughs> but like anything, everything's a tool, right? That's that's the kind of thing that um, I think uh, for all of us, we sometimes in anything in our life, we've got so many tools now that make our lives easier and meteorology is one of them. Zach, what did you want to add on that? <laughs> Well, I just want to make sure that we emphasize that, you know, models as a whole, they are, as you were saying, Dean, tools. You know, ultimately, we cannot solely rely on just the model itself. Um, we have to put some meteorological knowledge and input into it. And one of the challenging things about models in general now, especially as we're facing, you know, climate change in general, we're having all of these otherwise unprecedented events occur um, and models are solely based off of precedent. So right. sometimes I know in in Kentucky um, recently with the flooding, not a lot of the models really forecasted that there would be that severe of a flooding event there. And it's because St. Louis, the, the, precisely the days before it was nine to 12 inches. The, the models they, had no clue. Was they had that. no clue. So the ultimate thing that we have to take away from is pattern recognition on a meteorological level, a um, knowledge level. Just see, look at what's directly in front of you on the uh, current output that you're seeing in terms of like just what you're seeing live and see if the actual parameters line up in your head, as Michael was talking about uh, the parameters ultimately are going to dictate whether or not you make the right forecast or the wrong forecast. The models will ultimately only go off of what you program into it. And if there isn't the necessary previous knowledge in there, you're going to get the wrong forecast out of it. So um, definitely being definitely being much more intentional about how you go about um, studying and like recognizing and doing these postmortems is very, very important in meteorology just because how else you're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to learn every day as the climate shifts, as the atmosphere shifts. Um, it's yeah. always changing. I think this is one of the toughest things, even as a more experienced meteorologist. Um, it's hard sometimes to forget your mistakes. Um, and this is a problem I think we have in life in general. And I don't mean to get up on a soapbox, but mistakes happen. <laughs> it's just life. We're human and these things happen. And there's no way that we can account for everything in the atmosphere yet. There's just no way. And so I think part of it is just kind of understanding that, helping the public understand why the forecast may have gone wrong and then move on from there. The other thing and I'll start because Ab Abby didn't get into this this last question, but 
one of the things that I feel sometimes is we think too much like meteorologists and not like people, right? Where we're, you know, we're talking about parameters that sometimes we kind of put our own sensibilities on it. I happen to like it hot. I don't like it particularly humid, but you know, <laughs> 85 with a real feel of 90 with a 58 dew point is a pretty pleasant day for me till a point, you know, I'm trying to run or do something. But so, Abby, do you feel like sometimes we need to stop and think more like people and how it's affecting them versus maybe the actual parameters? Or is it that kind of thing where we have to kind of weave the two together when we're communicating stuff? I definitely think there should be a marriage between the both of those factors. It's super important to have the scientific and meteorological knowledge behind that. But you also kind of need to then, once you know those things, take off that hat and kind of put it in that perspective of what is someone who has no weather knowledge, no scientific weather knowledge, going to think about this when I communicate it. And I think that really hones in on the point again how important it is to know how to communicate to the general public. So once you have your forecasts, you need to know how to convey it in a way that people can understand. So I really think there needs to be a way that we can combine the science with the way they're communicate with the way we're communicating it, because what we do is for the general public who ultimately doesn't have the scientific background that we may have. Yeah, I think part of the key is learning how to explain those really technical things to a place where people can relate. You know, I mean, we 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 now see things like hen sized hail, hen or hen egg sized hail. Now, I I mean, I don't know how many people know what the size of a hen. I guess I mean that's a chicken egg, right? Uh, but it's just some of some of the times when you when you we put some of these wordings on things. You know, it's it's interesting how how the public takes it. Um, man, look at that. The time is just flying by. This is uh, kind of like your internship has flown by. <laughs> Let's go around the room one last time and get some last thoughts about uh, your your time here. And what do you hope to do? What what as a young meteorologist and weather professional, what do you hope to do going forward? We'll we'll go alphabetically by first name. Abby, you're up first. So I had a great experience here at AccuWeather. I've learned so much from everyone here, and I hope to do something like this in the future. All I hope is that I can be a meteorologist that has an impact on people's lives, a scientist that someone can trust. That is my ultimate mission as a scientist and meteorologist. And I hope to finish school with some great grades and <laughs> move on and you know, really live out that mission. That's what I really hope to do awesome. at the end of the day. Emma, what about you? I also really, really enjoyed my time here. It was amazing. Everyone was so supportive and welcoming and encouraging. And that's just great. My ultimate goal, similar to Abby's, is to do something very similar to what I did here. Hopefully, maybe come back. And also finish out school very, very strong, even though it'll be a couple more semesters. We'll, we'll wait for you, Emma, I promise. Mike, tell me what you uh, want to go forward here in the next uh, couple of years with what you want to do. 
Yeah. So I'll just start out by saying, yeah, I had a great time here uh, during the internship, learned a lot of things, got to see a lot of the behind the scenes of how these forecasts are, are made and, and how they're outputted um, from radio to to TV stations, some of our TV clients. So it's, it's awesome to see the, the scope of operations here. Um, so yeah, after I graduate, I hope to enter the operational meteorology field, uh, working for either a private company like AccuWeather or, or the government, potentially National Weather Service. Um, but kind of similar to what I'm doing now, I, I really like um, in any, any capacity, whether that be government or private company. How about you, Zach? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same vein. Um, you know, in AccuWeather, I mean, Ac the internship by itself is the best internship I've ever been a part of. And I think every, everyone can echo echo that sentiment. Um, just being able to be a part of the operational actual ground floor team um, is not something that you see a lot in terms of internships in the Met field. It's always kind of your you have one project that you work on for the entire semester or the entire summer. And uh, and that's sometimes almost like it. drudgery, right? Sometimes almost, in those yeah. You know, these uh, here's the room. You go in there <laughs> and you stay there. Don't come out and make sure that you right. have the report done by the end of the, your internship. Exactly, which is absolutely not the case here at AccuWeather. We had a we had a three week training session, which got us up to date with philosophy and whatnot. That makes sure that we know you know how AccuWeather does things. And after that, we were part of the team. It was yeah. it was uh, it was certainly a lot a lot of fun. Would highly recommend this internship to any any uh, future meteor you know meteorologist. Generally, um, it's a great experience. And as far as where I would like to be, um, operational meteorology is where it's at. Um, whether that be AccuWeather, National Weather Service, you know, whichever you know, whoever will have me, uh, that'll be that would be uh, that'd be great. As long as as long as my main thing is I want to be able to effectively communicate effectively communicate the weather to the people that might ne not necessarily have the correct access or the right access to it, you know, in whatever, in a, whatever ways I can reach them. Um, that's, that's the main goal. And I believe that's where meteorology is going in the future. It's social. Well, I can speak on behalf of uh, our forecasting department and our team members across uh, the country and across the world. We've been blessed to have the four of you, Abigail Lancia, Emma Belcher, Mike Paganelli and Zach Elsom. I hope we all meet again. And, uh, you know, there's a track record of great interns coming back and working for us. So uh, if that is a situation that's meant to happen, and I'm sure we'll see each other down the road. Thanks so much to the four of you. This has been we're going to have to make this a, an annual tradition because I enjoyed <laughs> this episode as much as any other I've done here on Everything Under the Sun. You four have a great, great rest of your summer. And uh, I know it's fleeting fast and have a great experience in the fall. Okay. Thanks, you too. Thanks for having Thank us on the show, Dean. We've asked the interns to provide us with either uh, their Twitter handle or a social media link, including LinkedIn links uh, that they wanted to share with you. And especially, I know we have some of my listeners are work in the weather profession and uh, are thinking about maybe hiring some people. Uh, these are names that you should keep in mind. So those links or Twitter handles, they're all in our notes section of our podcast. And coming up next, senior meteorologist and lead trainer for our onboarding here in AccuWeather in terms of forecasting. And she was also the coordinator of the training and implementation of those amazing interns in our operation here in AccuWeather's World Headquarters. Courtney Travis is up next. And we'll also talk about the weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond. This is AccuWeather.com's Everything Under the Sun. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. 
Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Episode 10 as our summer just keeps going away slowly at a time. I think for some of us, though, that we've wanted to get a relief from summer after another long surge of heat and humidity along the eastern seaboard, uh, a really brutal period, especially those last few days of it. Um, so I wanted to bring in a meteorologist to talk about the weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond, as we always do in the second segment, and kind of tie that to this amazing interview we just did with our AccuWeather interns is I bring in senior meteorologist and uh, really our training coordinator for all our new hires. So she was really involved with training our interns because, um, you know, they are really working schedules by the time they're in the middle to end of their uh, career here in their intern career at AccuWeather. So Courtney Travis joins us. Courtney, uh, first of all, our interns have been amazing this year. And I think uh, if any of us at AccuWeather listen to that podcast interview from before, we're all going to be extremely proud. And everybody, um, they're, they're just amazing young people. And it's been such a pleasure to work with them, right? Absolutely. Yeah, they're a great, great team of uh, young meteorologists, up and coming meteorologists, and I've been very impressed with, you know, how they've evolved over the summer. And um, like you said, I'm very, very proud to have them represent us. And I think the thing that uh, is remarkable to me is that I've seen now as we've gone through and how many years have we been doing this? Is this like eight, nine, 10 years we've been doing the intern program? Yeah, at least that, at least that. And it's evolved yeah. a little bit over the years, right. um, but we've at least been doing it now for at least a decade. I think the, the involvement that I've seen is the maturity and then the experience of some of these uh, young ladies and men um, that they're just, uh, they have some experience coming in and even if they don't, they just pick it up. So, so naturally here and, uh, yeah, just amazing stuff. And, and you know, Courtney, I think uh, we all know now in this field of meteorology, the more experience you can get as you're getting that education, the better that you are. Yeah, exactly. Any experience is good experience and even exposure, just exposure to different types of uh, things that you can do in the field of meteorology. There's everything from operational meteorology that we spend a lot of time doing here at AccuWeather to academia, to the government and working, you know, sending those warnings. Right. So, you know, there's every, any type of um, exposure that you can get to those things, I think is great exposure and great helps you have a well-rounded experience going forward with your careers. And they've really had a lot of exposure to different things uh, before working here. Right. We offer so many different types of products that they've been, you know, working with media. They've been working with uh, people like in government and municipalities and, and emergency management. It's just all kinds of stuff. So great stuff. So thank you, Courtney. And thanks to the hiring team, Renee and Dave Dombeck and, and company uh, bringing those folks in and uh, you and the trainers and everybody. It's been awesome. Let's talk a little bit of operational meteorology, because like I said, in the setup here, we all in the eastern seaboard needed a break. We got the break from the intense heat uh, middle of the week, but the humidity's still been kind of sticking around. Inland parts of the uh, Great Lakes in the northeast have been already getting some uh, relief here as we drop this podcast Friday morning. I'll tell you what. Two, three days ago, Courtney, it looked like everywhere, basically from the Great Lakes all the way to the East Coast, Eastern Seaboard through the Mid-Atlantic, was going to have an amazing, almost perfect weekend. It's starting to change in the modeling as we get closer, and I'm starting to get concerns. As I think this is normal for this time of year, where sometimes the models think the fronts are going to go through so far, 
And then reality hits that we're in the middle of August and then the models catch up a little bit. Does that seem right to you? Yeah. Mother nature is kind of like, hey, you want a perfect weekend? Just kidding. It's (laughs) August. That's not how that works around here. Um, So, yeah, you're right. Instead of like seeing that, you know, perfect low humidity, sunshine, nothing to really interrupt the day across the northeast. We're instead seeing that potential for a little bit more wet weather to pop up to kind of creep in maybe a little bit more humidity at the end of the day nothing like what we've been dealing with humidity wise you know so far this month but certainly looking a little less pristine as we go into uh, the weekend here and i think it goes in stages i think the beginning part of that is as we get saturday into sunday for the great lakes chicago places like detroit um so so you know if you're this podcast drops friday um, that's play hooky. If you're listening to this Friday midday and you haven't played hooky today, you should in Detroit and Chicago because those go downhill. I think, you know, there's a, probably still some showers that may kind of hang on to the eastern seaboard Saturday. I think if you're from the Delmarva and the mid-Atlantic up through New England, Sunday looks like the better day of the weekend and may stay nice even a little bit longer into Monday before some of these showers catch up there. But it's it's one that I think you're going to want to check in with AccuWeather.com and the apps and everything all weekend long in those areas. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, like it's going to kind of be in stages that, you know, instead of it being like it's not going to be a washout any any of those days. But all of a sudden, you know, maybe Saturday is not looking quite as pristine as it was. And Sunday is going to be a little better or the opposite, depending on where you are across the Great Lakes and into the Northeast, like you said, Dean. Um, And then you talked about Monday as you get into Monday. That's when we're going to see maybe a little bit more widespread wet weather and certainly the humidity starting to creep back up again. But one thing I'm seeing, Courtney, too, is I think we're going to have more opportunities uh, for undulation here now in the next couple of weeks where we will see more uh, pushes of this cooler air. In fact, point next week where there's enough that, you know, we may have to some water spout problems uh, over the Great Lakes early part of next week. While that's doing that, the heat surging up in the middle of the country and more monsoonal flow here with some showers and thunder over the four corners and up into the Rockies, this seems like a, a, a repeat situation here over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, the monsoon really has been kicking up across the Southwest and we've seen a lot of, you know, flooding potential, a lot of the same areas getting hit where earlier in the monsoon season, we started to see some of those thunderstorms kind of over the New Mexico area. It's kind of shifted to, you know, Arizona, parts of Colorado and Utah. And now they've been hit, like you said, repetitively for like the last couple of weeks now. So we're kind of seeing that change. And you talked about heat building in the middle of the country. That's coming back next week. I think we're going to see a return of heat in the Northwest again. Yes. Maybe not quite to the extreme of right. what we saw um, earlier this summer in July. But I think that there is going to be a little bit of a sneak in of some heat getting back into the Northwest, too. We, we are getting uh, this is this just started the second, third of August. We are just underway in solar fall. I hate to get everybody depressed because that depresses <laughs> me. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we are starting to see some of that, but uh, there's still a lot of heat build up in the middle of the country. Um, Courtney uh, and family, her husband, Steve, uh, worked with us at AccuWeather, now works for the National Weather Service office in State College. Steve also used to uh, spot for me in Beaver Stadium. It's good to talk to you. I, this is your first appearance? On it is. The sun? It is my first appearance. Why yes. did we wait so long? I don't know. We were <laughs> silly. Courtney, thanks. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Great. And friends, that'll do it for episode 11 for our interns, Abigail, Emma, Michael, and Zach, for Courtney, and for our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, and the hundreds of team members who work so hard every day across the world to make your 
experience, well, we try to weatherproof your life here at AccuWeather and AccuWeather.com with our app and our great network, AccuWeather Now, that you can get on our AccuWeather.com website and all the great stories and information there and our great media partners. We are so proud to work uh, together to try to help weatherproof your life. And so we'll come back next week, continue on the summer theme. We've got to maybe start thinking about some late-season baseball as we get towards September and college football season's underway. Some sports talk coming up. We'll also take a look up in the skies. We haven't done that in a while. Brian Late is scheduled to be a guest here in the next couple of weeks. And we'll get with Paul Pastelock and take a look at the upcoming fall season in a long-range discussion. That's all coming up in the next couple of weeks. Friends, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.